Toasted Sister Podcast, a show about indigenous food. I'm Andy Murphy. busy month. In September, I went to Minnesota for a week for the Red Lake Nation Food Summit and then the Conference on Native Nutrition and then the Native American Journalist Association Conference. And I gathered a couple of stories from these events and we'll be putting them together for a future episode, but not before an episode with Donnell Barlow featuring her new children's book called Bigfoot and Lightning Bug. Now that things have slowed down to a manageable pace, I'll be editing these episodes together, so stay tuned. In other news, we created a zine about food in indigenous futurisms, and we just got it printed and we'll be debuting it at the Albuquerque Zine Fest this Saturday, October 5th, and that's at the National Hispanic Cultural Center. And the event runs from 11 a.m. to 5 p.m., and it's free and it's open to the public. So if you're in Albuquerque, come on by and see about our zine. And afterwards, after the Zine Fest, they'll be available for purchase at ToastedSisterPodcast.com. And I say we because I have Monica Brain with me. She's the junior editor of the Zine, and I'm the executive editor, of course. Hey, Monica. Hey, Andy. So excited that you allowed the junior editor to be in the studio with you today. Thanks. Yeah, I've I've graced you with my presence. here. <laughs> it was um it was nice to switch roles for a change to yeah. be honest. Yeah, Monica's the senior producer for Native America Calling. I'm the junior producer or the associate producer for Native America Calling. And if you're not familiar with Native America Calling, it's a uh 1-hour live radio show about indigenous topics and issues. And um we work together, me and Monica on this special zine and the name of it is Imminent Cuisine. Indigenous Food Futurisms, and that is the topic of this episode today. Uh, Monica, it's going to debut at the Albuquerque Zine Fest this Saturday. Are you excited about it? Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about it. This was so much fun to put this together. I, I felt so creatively inspired and really felt like I got out of my box of just, you know, radio produce, radio produce, and got to do something completely different, which was which was really great. I'm a little bit nervous about the Zine Fest, if I'm being honest. <laughs> okay, why? Well, when I was younger, zines were things that kind of were pasted together, like you, you literally used glue and glued things onto a page and made photocopies at Kinko's and then ours is kind of slick and professionally produced. You know, we put yeah. it on a publisher and we send it to a printer. <laughs> yeah. What if we get to the Zine Fest and everybody else has just like black and white photocopied pages? I don't know. I mean, I, I think other people would be 
printing the same kind of quality we are. I mean, I kind of had that idea to go that way really DIY, but then it just really fast, a week after I got the idea, just turned into, we have to print this because it's going to be really nice photos, really nice um, illustrations. And then then we got the contributors uh, to come on board. And then after that, I was like, then we have to do full color, full color, because they deserve it. Their artwork is great. So our zine is called Eminent Cuisine, Indigenous Food Futurism. So Indigenous Food Futurisms. First, let's talk about what Indigenous Futurisms is. I think, uh, Monica, you're a little bit more knowledgeable about this because you've been studying this topic to get ready to help make this zine. Yeah, the first thing I did was to try and read some Native science fiction and get a better idea. We did do a show on Native America calling about Indigenous Futurisms while back, but I felt like I just barely kind of understood the subject. So Mm -hmm. essentially, it's just an area of science fiction that deals with things that take place in the future, or alternate realities, or something called the slipstream, which is going back and forth between. So you could go back in time and then into the future. And indigenous futurisms is, it is, you know, whether it's literature or games or any kind of art, it's created by Indigenous people and about Indigenous subjects. That's essentially Indigenous futurisms. So the the person who coined the term Indigenous futurisms is Dr. Grace Dillon. I sat down with her for an hour on the phone talking Mm. about this topic. We can't share the whole hour with you on the podcast today. So here's just a little taste of what she had to say about the idea of talking about indigenous food in futurisms? Well, indigenous futurisms is a native-centered story, novel, video game, uh, art uh, work, music videos, (laughs) just all kinds of forms, uh, graphic novels, any kind of art form that is created by native peoples globally or indigenous peoples globally around the world and that center either their stories or center indigenous stories or mixed communities that largely are indigenous set in the future or set in alternative dimension, alternative realities. But the ones um, for the food that I was coming up with, I have tons and tons of novels and books and different things here on my bed uh, that connect to that. And I'm noticing that at least uh, for the ones that I'm looking at, and there's quite a variety, but it's not usually set in an alternative reality. It usually is set in a uh, the more commonplace, you know, extrapolating ideas from the past and the present to create uh, a really plausible future, right? So um, the real feature of indigenous futurisms that I think becomes really important is the difference between the sciences that are employed. So that's the indigenous science as opposed to many, many forms of science, because there isn't just one science, there isn't just one Western science, there's many forms of even Western science. So in that sense, to me, indigenous futurisms is not only about really looking at the interconnectedness and the relational uh, connections that we all have 
uh, whether we're human persons, animal persons, plant persons, mountain persons, river persons, uh, machine persons, all of those are connected in a way that is far more steam rather than stem. So I know that for a lot of us, we're really caught up in the idea now of STEM, science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. But indigenous science um, is a much higher context, as Gregory Cajete has talked about it, that it's a high-context science as opposed to a low-context science. A low-context science would be you're just empirically observing something from afar, maybe using a lab, and, and then you're trying to come up with these very objective, neutral results, right? So that would be low context, and you're bringing everything down to, you know, a minimum of what it is, or you're looking at a cell of, you know, <laughs> a plant person or something like that. Whereas indigenous science is very, very much steam. Um, science, technology, engineering, uh, mathematics, we have all of that, along with uh, the A stands for art, but uh, for us, it takes on an even more important meaning than just art. And so the recognition of the higher context is where you all relational connections are considered uh, and you live in close contact with whatever place that you are at, whether it's an urban city or a rural area, you live in very close contact with that place. And you basically, um, in terms of high context, the A then becomes not just art, but for us, it becomes ceremonial. So that our songs, our dances, our stories, our gifts, of um, we call tobacco in my language, uh, sema. So tobacco gifts, um, all of those are a part of um, what becomes connected to uh, creating and having thriving indigenous food system. Uh, and so the A uh, is not just simply art in the way that we might think of it, like a music video or a video game, but it's a ceremony. Um, everything you do with ceremony and gratefulness to those who give themselves, whether it's a plant person or an animal person uh, or someone else. And um, so Aki, in that sense, or our land, starts becoming treated with a dignity and respect of how human persons at least should interact with other human persons. <laughs> we can't always uh, count on that. Um, it's how we should act with all other human persons. And then um, along with having that kind of high context, uh, we have also value systems that really do emphasize spirituality, ethical relationships, Mutualism, reciprocity, respect, restraint, a focus on harmony, and an emphasis on interdependence. Um, and so once you start developing that kind of higher context of indigenous science, even in the way that one uh, brings about uh, plant persons and foods uh, within our systems, that um, 
actually uh, starts taking on, I think, a deeper kind of meaning. Um, and it's one that many people are attracted to, I think, uh, with 12 years left uh, before uh, climate change, you know, only 12 years left before climate change has a real yeah. impact on us in a way that um, is going to be phenomenally dangerous. So in the zine, Imminent Cuisine, uh, we just focused on food. And Andy, you really came up with this idea of indigenous food futurisms. I mean, if we're going to coin terms and things like that. But basically, we went to a talk at Red Planet, which is this um, indigenous comic book store here in Albuquerque. Lee Francis was giving a talk about futurisms. And both of us were really excited. We were learning a lot more about this concept and this idea and Andy, you just like started passing me notes. We were we were kind of like high school students writing <laughs> notes on notebooks to each other back and forth while Lee's giving his talk. Yeah, yeah. You know, sometimes these these ideas just like pop in my head, and you know, in the office, I'll turn I'll turn to you, swivel in my chair, and I'm like, oh, idea, and then I just like spew it out. Um, <laughs> but this was one of those moments. But we were at that talk, and you know, just listening to to Lee talk about futurisms. And listening to this discussion about uh, indigenous futurisms, um, they mentioned food a, a quick couple of times in that whole that whole event, and I was like, you know what? We have to eat in the future. I wonder what that's going to look like. So I started jotting down ideas, and um, and then we just kind of went with it. But we we went with it to a point, and then we kind of you know just let it get stale for a little bit. And then what, what really drove us to, to finish it and actually bring it to the point it is now uh, was the Albuquerque Zine Fest. I, I got wind of it on social media and I thought, how about we work, uh, we work towards the Zine Fest and that'll be our deadline so we can finally get something done. Because sometimes a project's just, if it doesn't have a deadline, it just kind of sits there. And that's true for me. <laughs> so um, we took the Zine Fest as our deadline and... Um, and, and now it's here. It is currently, as we're recording this audio right here, it is currently in the mail on its way to us. Yep, we're going to see it in just a couple of days. I'm pretty excited about that. Yeah, yeah. And so we mentioned uh, contributors. Um, it's not just us two who um, put together all the material within the pages. We had a whole bunch of people come through for us, which on my side, honestly, I was surprised that some of these people came through because we've interviewed these people before and we've had them on our show because they are doing really good work in their fields as um, uh, comic book artists, as zinesters, as illustrators, as um, authors, too. And um, we were just kind of looking around to see who we could ask to contribute, and we came up with a couple names. And immediately I was, like, intimidated. <laughs> like, <laughs> can we ask these awesome people to contribute to our little zine here? I know it's really hard because often on Facebook, you'll see artists complaining about how people approach them and ask them to give something for nothing and do it for the credit and how irritating that is. And we didn't want to be those irritating people. But at the same time, we knew like we'd be funding this entirely on our own. But we got up the courage to just ask. 
we thought, you know, if you never ask, then the answer is automatically no. <laughs> so we, we went round and round, a bunch of anxiety, putting an email together, putting some language together. And then um, I think I asked Kayla Shaggy first um, because I, I, I flipped through her comic book before and I saw that there was a little bit of a little bit of food in there and I thought maybe she's maybe I don't ask for something new I ask for a, a, a page in her comic book that already exists and then we can promo her comic book um, so that made it a little bit easy but um, among our contributors are uh, Donnell Barlow who you heard from in episode 8 of this podcast Toasted Sister uh, she's a holistic health coach and a published author uh, and she wrote a nice poem about seeds and, uh, and even sent in a recipe for this zine. And, you know, throughout the zine, all the stories and all materials, they kind of have a reference to seeds. I mean, seeds were really a big, um, a big theme here in the, the zine. And then, um, I asked Terry Fisher. He's a friend of the show and a friend of mine, and he's an artist of some pretty gross things like uh, monsters and, and sweaty pro wrestlers, and he goes by The Pug Dream if you want to follow him and find him on social media. And uh, for the zine, he sent in a colorful illustration uh, that looks like an old horror movie poster and I love that old horror movie style so I was really excited when he sent in that that illustration and then who else do we have oh we had uh Mariah Gladstone she also sent in a short story about cooking traditional foods in the future and she even illustrated it herself I mean I I did a lot of illustrations for the story so it was really almost a relief for her to, to send in a, an illustration she made herself. And, um, you know, Mariah is a food advocate and the creator of Indigi Kitchen, which is an online cooking show. And you heard from her in episode 30 of this podcast, if you want to learn more about her and what she does. And I also asked Tishia Hart. She's a chef and a biologist and an artist. Uh, kind of like a multimedia witch like myself and uh, someday I'll feature her on a full episode of Toasted Sister because she's doing some really amazing work with indigenous foods but for now here she is talking about her story for the zine called Res Dog Power. Bears are always watching over us looking in upon our lives. They've always lived closely to us. Our lifestyles reflect one another in a way. Dump bears People who visit our res are told to go look at the dump bears. Visitors are shocked when they lay eyes upon very large bears. Bears laid out napping, flat out on bellies, arms outstretched to their sides. Bears in bins, bears in trees. And people, showing little fear, hefting bags into bins where bears sit and eat. Until bins are bare. Bear bins. Where have our bears been? Food, medicine, is at the center of culture. In my story, Res Dog Power, I envision the landscape of the world I know in a new, old way, after future generations of people have made generous efforts towards wellness and sovereignty. The story also shines a light on the intelligence and potential roles of dogs, wolves essentially, our brothers, whose lives are also a reflection of our own and are forever changed by our own resiliency and ingenuity. Getting back to the bears, how can a bear's health be impacted by eating and rummaging around in our garbage? 
Ingesting plastic can cause intestinal inflammation and prevent digestion of food. It can cause slow death. Or if the plastic object is sharp, it can rupture an intestine, which can also cause death. Bear cubs have been known to get their heads stuck in plastic containers, which prevents them from acquiring water and nutrition. And there's suggestive evidence that bears who eat more human junk food are hibernating less and aging faster. Food, medicine, is at the center of culture. There are a lot of people in Red Lake who are bear clan. When we think of bears, we think of medicines. Bears awaken and eat medicines in the springtime, cleansing their digestive systems, revitalizing after a long winter. I can't help but wonder, how effective are their traditional medicines when they are waking up with plastic, our garbage, still in their bodies after hibernation? We have to ask ourselves some hard questions sometimes. When we recognize that we are changing landscapes in unhealthy ways, and if we do nothing, what is the culture we're keeping? Will the packaging of mass-produced, processed foods continue to litter the landscape for generations of humans and animals to come? Or will we return to foods found within the shape and habits of the landscapes themselves, in the form of healthy ecosystems, we understand the blessings of the harvest therein, as our ancestors have done since forever? Nature is full of cycles, circles. And as we are closing in on another of these circles, we are essentially getting closer to the past to inform our decision-making about the future. Food, medicine, is at the center of culture. How does our food fit into our vision of the future? We cannot afford to just wing it and forge into the future, blindly following corporations that don't care about us or the next seven generations the continuity of our traditional foods, or the health of the landscape. We must take the time to envision how we want to see the world, and then figure out how we get there. That was Tashia Hart. Um, so who else is in this zine, Imminent Cuisine, Monica? Well, we got Elizabeth LaPense, who is an award-winning designer, writer, artist, and researcher who creates and studies Indigenous-led media. She submitted a great piece of art called Name Anang. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Yeah. <laughs> and um, she's also the daughter of Grace Dillon. Mm. We also have another illustration by Wishoyo Alvitre. She's a comic book artist and illustrator. I had the feeling like her illustration needed some color, and I, I might actually get some pens or colored pencils and color it in because it, it's almost like a coloring book piece. We also have an illustration by Kayla Shaggy. She's an artist and comic book artist. Here she is talking about her work in the one-page comic for the zine. Hello, my name is Kayla Shaggy, and I'm here to talk about my one-page comic that I did for the Indigenous Futurism's food scene. So it features a cameo from two of my characters from my original comic book, The Sixth World, uh, Denora and Sesha, and both of them are two young women living on Mars. They're talking about the three main types of cuisine that are found on Mars. The first one is protein food. And you can either eat it mixed up with um, water, so it's kind of like gruel, or you can consume it as a protein drink. 
you know, Denora concludes, you know, explaining this process, saying, oh, it's not very tasty, but it is filling. And the whole comic is kind of like a satirical take on how the food on Mars is not very good. And it's also unbalanced um, because the next cuisine is imitation of earth food. So crops are grown very like studiously and um, carefully and then they're made in an imitation of earth food. Within the comic there's five districts. The fifth one, the fourth one are all underground. The third one is on the surface of Mars and the first and second districts are above the ground. So the only people who are allowed to eat food that's very reminiscent of like classic food are the people who can afford it. So there's like a caste class system going on. And Sesha states, I do not eat that food even if I can because it's not fair. And then finally, the third type of cuisine is bugs. Bugs have been grown recently, well not grown, I would say raised, in an attempt to make food that's good for hardworking people. And you can often see food cuisine being sold in Asian countries, but the views on it from a Western person are often negative. And we often see this type of like um, people eating bugs to survive in sci-fi. Um, most recent example would be the new Blade Runner, where uh, Dave Batista's character talks about how like he grows protein and then he picks up these huge grubs. So I kind of want to show that, you know, in the comic, things aren't as cut as they seem. And then I also want to explore what it's like to make food in this type of society because that type of world building I really adore in, you know, not just sci-fi, but other types of genres within media. Um, I think it's really interesting to learn how food is made. And as an indigenous person myself, I am Dene and Anishinaabe, you know, there's a close relationship to the animals and the crops that we grow and then consume. There's a, you know, animistic, very close relationship with food, I feel like, within indigenous cultures. And we have this type of respect, you know. I would say there is some worship involved when it comes to more of the plants, but it's respect as well. And I wanted to show that in the comic, the one that I made for the indigenous uh, futurism food scene. So the plot of my comic, The Sixth World, it's about this Navajo woman, Navajo young woman named Denora Redhorse and she's growing up on Mars, just celebrated her 18th birthday, and then her grandmother just dies violently and suddenly. And while she's trying to pick up the pieces from this, you know, event, she inherits a exosuit. So it's kind of like a mechanical suit that you often see in sci-fi, you know, like Black Panther, Iron Man, and it's shaped like a coyote. And then giant bugs <laughs> start attacking her colony, her home colony. And they start indiscriminately, you know, attacking different districts. And then uh, Sesha is her friend that she's grown up with since they were young. And Sesha works as a scribe within this colony. And scribes are given lots of, you know, responsibility. But they're also given a lot of prestige. So... We're kind of looking at how these two girls are growing up on a colony on Mars. And then there's also a lot of, you know, Diné um, traditions, like, you know, mentioning coyote. 
and then I'm also giving like a huge like um, allusion to the origin story within Dine traditions and which in the stories we talk about there's multiple worlds and the bugs are there for a reason they are intentional because I know that within the first world we resided with the bugs underground and then we emerge and my parents have always taught me that bugs need to be respected you know along with animals and inanimate objects as well but I've always had this special reverence for bugs and that becomes kind of like a theme within the comic book and the comic book also talks about how like there's racism neo-colonization because they are a colony of Mars and just about like the ramifications of what would happen if if we had the events going on within the world today are happening within a tiny contained space. Because within the comic book, they're kind of living within an air bubble on Mars. But uh, yeah, that was that's what the comic is about without spoiling too much. Um, currently, there are three issues of it. It can be found on my website at kaylashaggy.gallery. You can just go to the button that says store. They are also available digitally on my Gumroad. Just look up Kayla Shaggy Gumroad. Yeah, and I really hope everyone enjoys my page for the indigenous futurism food scene. And I can't wait to see the rest of the, of the contributions within the book. And uh, thank you so much for letting me in on this project. And those are all the contributors of Imminent Cuisine Indigenous Food Futurisms. And I want to add that all of them are Native, and they're doing great work across Native America. We've got links to their websites and social media pages in the show notes. So we also contributed our own material for the zine. Andy, you had a lot of stuff in the zine. Yes, I did. Um, I did a lot of um, artwork for the zine. Um, you know, the artwork, my style, I think everybody is maybe a little bit familiar with it. Uh, the Corn Man from um, Toasted Sister, the logo I drew myself. So it's very like one dimensional um, pin and ink. Well, first it starts out as pencil, and then it starts out as a bunch of eraser marks, and then a new page, and then more pencil, and then when I when I have a design that I really like, I, I go over with some markers and some pens, and then um, what I do is I take photos of it, and then I take that into Photoshop, and I colorize it with uh, the paint bucket in Photoshop, um, and so you'll see a lot of that. It, it kind of looks cartoonish. In a, in a lot of the illustrations for the stories. Like yours, Monica, your story didn't come with an illustration, so I, I, I made one up. <laughs> I drew one for you. And then um, uh, Tashia's Res Dog Power uh, story didn't come with one, so I made one up there. So I have a lot of little pieces throughout the, the zine. I don't, I don't bill myself as an artist. Uh, the only art that I do is for Toasted Sister and then for this zine here. So, uh, you know, when I was growing up, I thought I wanted to be an artist. I, I was really very artistic and I've always had that, you know, just drawing ability to copy things or, or look at something and then, you know, kind of draw it on paper, you know, for, for this zine. I just kind of went all out. But then I also used my skills in Photoshop to give it a, give it a different color dimension. I love your art. You were for a while. You were. And I don't know if you're still doing this. You were painting on um, recipe 
pages from old cookbooks. Oh, yeah, yeah. Kind of like um, ledger art. Yeah, like ledger art, but it, you helped me with this, too. Um, uh, you helped me collect a couple of uh, cookbooks from, like, the 50s. Yeah, I was so <laughs> excited. About, so I can't draw at all. Like, I'm a complete stick figure kind of person. And I was so excited by the idea of what you were doing that this thrift store that I volunteer at, I just kept bringing cookbooks to you. Like, I promise this is the last one because I just really wanted you to encourage you to do those. They're so cool looking. I'd love to have one sometime. Maybe I can afford it. Yeah, I'll give you the tribal discount (laughs) for my art. But I like to do a little bit more of that. It it was really exciting. That was another idea. I turned to you in our office. I'm like, idea, ledger art, but with food on old recipe books. (laughs) <laughs> I'm going to get a bell and just ring it or something like that. It's <laughs> yeah. so exciting when you have an idea. <laughs> yeah. Um, you also um, wrote an actual story in the zine. Yeah, and it's um, it's uh, uh, paranormal. I think coming up with this zine idea was a little bit um, easier than actually coming up with some material to put inside of it. Um, And I kind of went round and round finishing or just starting this story and writing it. Um, You know, I really wanted to add a little bit of horror because that's like my favorite genre anywhere. I wanted to do some horror, but also, you know, kind of connect it to to parts of my, my own life you know, growing pumpkins in my backyard, even though this year there were no pumpkins, just big vines all over the yard <laughs> with no <laughs> pumpkins. But um, the story involves pumpkins and a little bit of paranormal stuff uh, in the future, and it's called 100 Years. And then um, I wrote another one. Um, uh, it's about the passing of the 2098 Farm Bill. And, you know, since um, I'm a journalist, you know, reporter, I thought, what would I be reporting on in the future, like almost 100 years from now? So I came up with a couple of different scenarios and cool things that would be included in the Farm Bill of 2098, um, including some crazy salmon, some really cool wild rice stuff. But um, yeah. You don't want to give too much of it away, I can tell. Yeah, I don't want to. You want to buy, you, you want to read the zine. I'm telling you. It's, yes. It's going to be great. I, I have to say, I think we should give uh, just a, a smidge of credit to High Country News. Oh, yeah. They did um, what's called a speculative journalism issue mm-hmm. where all of the articles were based in the future. And Tristan Ottone wrote this really amazing article about Something that happened in the future where supposedly people who were climate change deniers turned out to be war criminals and they were hunting them down. And I'm not going to give it away, but it, it was it was amazing. And we were thinking about that and thinking about how that fits in with food. And, and that's how you came up with the a, a short article on what the Farm Bill of 2098 would be. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Tristan's article was really was really awesome, and it was just, like, really creative and um, just really made you think about how things are just twisting and turning and how it could be in the future. And so so I really kind of channeled a little bit of that energy to this, um, this Farm Bill of 2098 story. Um, and then, Monica, you... You wrote a story for this zine, too. Tell me a little bit about it. Yeah, I'm just really honored that you let the junior editor 
uh, contribute something? <laughs> I will only four pages. Hold on. <laughs> Actually, my my story was the longest one. Yeah. Of the, I think we had to like subtract something or add more pages because I had written such a long story. Both. <laughs> We nick something, and then we're like, you know what? We got to order four more pages. <laughs> but I'm yours sorry. is a really good story. Thank you. So um, it's called Anxiety Otters, and um, I just got back from a trip to Alaska, a cruise in Alaska, and so I was feeling a lot of like thinking a lot about climate change and the future. It sort of is about this young woman who has crippling anxiety, but she. Uh, forces herself to go on a vacation every year to socialize, basically. And in you know this vacation, she is going to go on a cruise in Alaska. And the, the big selling point is that they're serving real food because climate change and disaster and civil wars have created a situation where people only can eat like nutritional blocks and only really wealthy privileged people eat food that's served on a plate. And she tallies up social interactions in her head as points, like making eye contact or talking to someone or something like that. Um, I wrote like it, talking to someone would be like 100 points? Or maybe five. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote it in two hours, and then um, it needed a lot of work. So I spent a lot of time thinking about it, mm -hmm. <laughs> how to make it better. And I had some other people look at it and um, kind of clarified some things and stuff like that. I, I spent too much time editing it. <laughs> no, no, it turned out really good because I read the copy right after those two hours that you wrote it. And um, I thought the idea was really cool. But then the finished copy was a little bit longer than that. But, you know, all those extra details and, um, you know, you took a little different arc in a couple of, of, of scenarios in the in the story. I thought that really worked really well. And, of course, the illustration is awesome. Oh my God. I think it's the most awesome thing I've done. It's, I want a T-shirt. <laughs> it's right. It's an otter. It's a sea otter. Mm -hmm. And it's just, I mean, it's the cutest thing ever. I love the illustration. I think it's on page three, maybe, of the... Yeah, it's pretty early in the... Of the I story, think it's before anyway. the half, the half, the half break. But um, yeah, I've never noticed otters' feet before, and they're weird. The back feet of otters is just almost disturbing. <laughs> it's not right. It's, it's not, not right. right. <laughs> <laughs> what happens when they go on land? You know, it's it's one of those hybrid situations that's like a lot of this doesn't make sense to me, <laughs> yeah. but they're still cute. Yeah, uh, we we also included a crazy, crazy play in the zine and it's towards the end. It's the, the last few pages of the zine. Uh, we wrote this a couple of years ago, right? And uh, we've been just referring to it as community radio or our radio play. But in the zine, it has a title of KFCK 92.3 FM Layaway Community Radio. Um, I was the one who, who got that idea um, those couple of years ago um, because we're working for radio and then, you know, 
for me personally, I was listening, or we were both listening to Welcome to Night Vale, which is a, a radio podcast, like a radio play that we were obsessed with a couple years ago. And then, you know, for me watching Courage the Cowardly Dog growing up, and I thought it'd be really fun and funny to channel some of our uh, weird humor into a radio play. So so this play, KFCK 92.3 FM Layaway Community Radio, takes place like in the middle of nowhere in a made-up tribal community, the Layaway tribal community. And eventually the listeners will see that this community is not normal and it takes place in a whole different plane of reality and it's just full of like ridiculous stuff and and just funny stuff yeah i've I've never written something that when i go back and read it again and again i'm still laughing at it we had so much fun sitting we wrote it together we sat down and just you set you sort of set up the framework of things and then i would just add things like no it's funnier if you make them growing just to give a hint they there's one community crop that they grow every year that is chosen in a special way and yeah, I I don't want to give too much away. I think it's brilliant. <laughs> I cannot wait until you turn it into an actual radio play. We'll get all of our friends to come and do funny voices. It's going to be great. In, in that time when we first started writing these episodes <laughs> till now, I'm like, you know, we got to have Clifton. We got to have Marina. We got to have all these people. They would be perfect for this voice. So um, I, we should really finish it because we have three episodes right now and I, you know, I know I have I have a whole plot in the back of my mind, but it's just way back there in the back burner. I haven't been able to just like sit down and finish it. But I think maybe five episodes instead of 10. My goal was 10, <laughs> right. but maybe five really well produced episodes. Um, you know how you can get that done, right? In this studio? <laughs> no. I mean, how you make yourself finish it. It's the same way we did the zine. You have to sign up for something or make a pronouncement right now, right here on this podcast of the deadline of when you will have the next two episodes written and start, you know, or something like that. Hold yourself accountable. I declare (laughs) right now. Yes, I declare that I will have five episodes ready to go by my birthday in March. Sounds great. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, that that's um, uh, the community radio. That is our last um, our last bit of material for the zine. And um, anything else you want to say? No, I'm just really excited to to put my eye holes on. <laughs> <laughs> this is what we've been working so hard on. I cannot wait to see it. I hope everything is perfect. Even if it's not, I'm going to be okay with it. Yeah, um, you can keep those comments to yourself if it's not perfect. <laughs> Are you telling your audience or, or me telling, specifically? I'm telling everybody. I'm telling my audience too. <laughs> no, no, I'm, I'm just kidding. Um, we, I would welcome feedback, but I don't know what I could do with it. <laughs> that zine is already printed. Yeah, make a better zine next time. Yeah, and I think there's going to be a next time because I already have ideas for like a horror indigenous futurism's horror or like horror and food where like your food is attacking you in the future or um just today i was uh, i'm doing a show on like romance romance novels and like i turned to you and i'm like oh, a zine about sex in the future <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'd like to be the 
junior, junior, junior <laughs> editor on that one. <laughs> yeah, but there's, there's so many ways you can take all this. I have so many more ideas, you guys. I am really proud of all of our work here and I'm grateful for the contributions. This is a really great collection of stories and art that tell hopeful stories of indigenous food in the future. And I'm so thankful to those who helped us with printing costs via our GoFundMe campaign. Ted, Stuart, Happy, Devana, Glenda, Alicia, Jennifer, Kathy, and Karen. Thank you so much. This zine, Imminent Cuisine, Indigenous Food Futurisms, will be available for purchase at uh, ToastedSisterPodcast.com. I also have a line of stickers available now. Some of the art you will see on the zine, some of them you will see all over social media. So I have the Corn Man, Celery Sam, with his cool shirt that has the squash blossoms on it. Blessed Mary of the Corn and the Toasted Sister logo. I just got them in today and they are awesome. And they will also be available on ToastedSisterPodcast.com. And that's it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. This is the Toasted Sister Podcast and I'm Andy Murphy from the Navajo Nation. Mm -hmm.